All right, Romans chapter one. I'm gonna read to you chapter one from chapter one, verse 16 through 25. And we're gonna talk today about the gospel that is our hope and not our shame. The gospel of Christ is the only hope humanity has ever had. I don't want you to think that the gospel is a new hope that came when Jesus came. The gospel has always been our hope, even before there was a creation. The gospel was man's hope, even before there was a man. It is our hope. It was our hope, and it will eternally be our hope. The gospel of Christ is no reason for us to be ashamed, for the gospel of Christ is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Jew, Greek, it doesn't matter. For everyone and anyone who believes. And in the gospel of Christ, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. The church of God must return to the preaching and teaching and living of the gospel of Christ to secure our hope and to avoid God's wrath. So let's read Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 25. These are the words of the Apostle Paul, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. And birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worship and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Let me continue reading for just a few verses. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use of what is against nature Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to debased minds to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, 
sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Now, we may be tempted to think that Paul is writing, describing the day that we live in, but he's not. He's writing and describing the day that he lived in over 2,000 years ago. Some people say that the Bible is an outdated book of old stories that aren't relevant anymore in our modern age. And what I have found is most people who say those things have never read the Bible. Because if you actually read the scripture from beginning to end, you see that it is absolutely relevant. And that the very things that we read in the scripture, whether they were written 2,000 years ago or whether they were written 4,000 years ago, are the very things that we see taking place in our culture today. Technology changes, but the nature of man, the sinful nature of man, does not change. Solomon writes that basically, to paraphrase him in, in the book of Ecclesiastes, man forgets, so history repeats itself. And history repeats itself not only because man forgets, but history repeats itself because with each new generation, with each person that's born into this world, they are born into sin and death. They're born with the very nature of sin and death that was passed to them through their father, Adam. And that is why history repeats itself. That's why we can read Romans chapter 1, and it sounds like a description of what's happening in 2018. It's a description of who man is apart from God. It's a description of who man is apart from the hope of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would open our hearts and open our minds. The Lord, the very words that we read, the very gospel that we have read, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Break the hardness of our hearts, God. Open our minds that may be closed. Lord, even in ways that we may not be aware of. God, we confess our weakness. We are not saved because of what we do. We are saved because of what you have done. It is not our righteousness that saves us. It is your righteousness that saves us. So, Father, we ask that you would save us today, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see, that you would make your church, your people, a glorious people to give witness to you and to your love, and to your gospel, that men might be saved and escape the wrath that is to come. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul, here in these opening verses that I read to you, 
In verse 16, Paul makes this statement, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. To be ashamed of the gospel of Christ is to be ashamed of Christ and to be ashamed of his Father in heaven. Though it is common practice, we may not change God's gospel for the sake of convenience or for the sake of the world's unbelief. Though we see this happening in our own day, but it also happened in days past. All of the famous heresies that go by all sorts of names were, were established, were created, were believed in for the same reasons that we want to change the gospel or we want to change the Bible today. It doesn't matter if we're making the Bible gender neutral or whether we're taking some things out that we think are irrelevant. This is what men do who have rejected the truth of God. And they do that because they are in reality ashamed of the gospel. Paul makes this declaration, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. We must never win men to Christ through compromise. If men come to a compromised false Christ that we have made in our own image instead of the Christ of the Bible, we lead them astray to a false Christ and a false gospel. You hear me, church? Men cannot be saved through a false Christ and a false gospel. We can make up all sorts of things. We can rewrite the Bible any way we want. We can reconfigure the gospel in any way that we want, but it will not save men. It may make them feel better about themselves in their sin, but ultimately they will not be saved. They cannot be saved. And we exchange feeling good in this flesh, feeling good in this world for the truth. And ultimately, that exchange will cost us our life. And this is exactly what Paul is writing here. He's writing to this church in Rome. Now, because we are typically not students of history, we don't, we just know Rome is a city in Italy that we'd like to go to one day because it's beautiful and we want to eat real Italian food and we want to see all those old buildings that the Romans built sometime back in the past. But we really have no idea about history. And this is, this is not good. So when Paul is writing this letter to the church in Rome... It would help us to understand the context of or the environment that he's writing to, that these believers are living in. And when you read those descriptions of humanity that Paul lists there, humanity that has rejected God, it's the same humanity and the same sinfulness that we see today in our modern culture. Sins like homosexuality and violence and injustice and bigotry and, and murder, those were not things that only came to exist in our modern day in the last one to 200 years. These are things that have existed since the creation of humanity. You remember the very first murder recorded in the Bible was 
between the sons of Adam and Eve because of jealousy, because of anger, Cain killed his brother Abel, murdered him. And men have been murdering one another and demeaning one another and destroying one another ever since because that is what sin does. And Paul writes this picture of what sin looks like in the context of Rome, but we can look at that picture of sin in the context of Rome and say it looks exactly like sin today in our very own nation, in our very own day. And the same hope that Paul writes of in his letter to the Romans is the very same hope that we must have today, the only hope that we have today, that is the hope of the gospel. And this is why Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. When he declared those words, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, he understood the implications of this bold statement in the face of persecution and opposition to the message of the gospel of Christ. Paul refused to compromise, to water down his message, his boldly proclaimed message, the message that he lived, the message of the gospel he understood as the only hope for humanity. It is the power of God to salvation. The gospel, this is what it, This is how it's described. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation. And the name of Jesus is the only name by which man may be saved. Jesus did not say, I am a way. I am one of several or many ways. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. To be ashamed of the gospel of Christ is to be ashamed of our, to our own peril and to the peril of those around us. For in, the, in that shame, we will either present a false Christ or we will present no Christ at all. Listen to the warning of Jesus Pinned for us in Mark's gospel, chapter 8, verses 34 through 38, the words of Jesus. Jesus said, the Bible says, when he had called the people to himself and his disciples also, he, Jesus, said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes into the glory of his Father with the holy angels. In this in our sinful and adulterous generation that we live today, we must not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ, 
for it is still the power of God for salvation and for transformation. More than ever, we need to pray and we need to seek to be filled so that we are controlled by God's Spirit, so that we speak and live His Word with boldness. Even as the apostles prayed in the early days of the church, they said, Lord, fill us with Your Spirit that we may speak Your Word with boldness by stretching out Your hand to heal. That should still be the prayer of the church in our day today. The gospel of Christ is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Actually, in the context, Paul writes, the gospel of Christ is the power of God to salvation for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for everyone who believes. In other words, for Jews, for Gentiles, Paul says, for everyone who believes. I always tell people there's only one race, it's the human race. I hate it when you go and you fill out a form and they say, what race are you? I just want to write in human. That's the race I am. If you mean what color is my skin, ask that question. But in terms of race, God only created one race. He created Adam. He created man. He created humanity. And all men have fallen into sin. It doesn't matter what nation they're from. It doesn't matter what language they speak. It doesn't matter what color skin they have. It doesn't matter what socioeconomic status they possess. All have fallen short. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is one humanity and it has all fallen into sin and there is only one hope. His name is Jesus and there is only one gospel It is the gospel of Christ that can save humanity from its sin. And we are called the church, and we are called to not be ashamed of that gospel. Even though the world is working overtime to make sure we are ashamed of it. But that is only because the world does not want to be reminded of the sin they must be saved from. There is no power to save men by another gospel. The gospel of Christ is the power of God to save men. The message of the gospel is not our message to fashion or to adjust as we will. The gospel of Christ bears the name of the one to which it belongs. It's Christ's gospel. It's his good news. It is the gospel of Christ. It is the good news because it is of Christ. There is no power to save men by another gospel or by a false Christ, another Jesus. Paul speaks of this. He said, if any man comes to you presenting to you another Jesus, another gospel, reject him. Even if an angel from heaven comes and presents to you another gospel, reject him. Jesus is not the gospel, I'm sorry, a more sin-friendly gospel and a worldly Jesus is not the gospel of Christ or of the Bible. That's what the world wants. The world wants a more sin-friendly good news. They want a more worldly 
Jesus, but Jesus is not of this world. He didn't come from the earth. He came from heaven. And Jesus, when he prayed for us, his church, before he ascended to the Father, actually before he was even crucified, his prayer was that we would realize that we are in this world, but we're not of this world. If you have been born again, if you are trusting Jesus, the Bible says you are in the world, but you're not of the world. Our life should be different from that of the world. A compromised gospel and another Jesus will not save us. It will only deceive us and give us a false security that ultimately leads men to hell. You ever seen the picture of the monkeys? One monkey sitting there holding his ears. One monkey sitting there holding his eyes. One monkey sitting there covering his mouth. This is the way men walk around in life. They don't want to hear the truth. They don't want to see the truth. They don't want anyone to speak the truth. And they make themselves feel secure in their lie. The only problem with that is one day they will give an account. And if we love men, if we truly love men, if we truly love God, then we cannot be satisfied to allow men to go unhindered or at least unchallenged with the truth. The gospel of Christ has been our hope from the beginning. In the Garden of Eden, at the fall of man, God promised to send the seed of the woman to crush the head of the dragon. That's recorded for us in Genesis 3.15. It was for this reason the Son of God was manifested, to destroy the works of the devil, 1 John 3.8. Jesus did his dragon-crushing, devil-works-destroying salvation at the cross. This is why Jesus is called the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. The cross was not God's plan B. It was God's eternal plan and purpose before there was even a creation. The gospel of salvation was wrought in the cross by the Lamb of God that was slain before for sinners. The good news of God's Lamb is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Jew or Gentile, male or female, rich or poor, slave or free, black, white, yellow, brown, or red, it does not matter. The gospel is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. And then Paul goes on and he writes, in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. In the gospel of Christ, the righteousness of God is revealed. The good news reveals the righteousness of God that is inherent in who God is. God's righteousness is inherent. It is the essence of who he is. Righteousness does not just describe the behavior of God. Righteousness describes who God is. He is, by his very nature, righteous. In his very essence, God is righteous. 
And if God is not righteous, then he is not God. And if we are not made righteous by God, then we do not belong to God. In the gospel of Christ, the righteousness of God is revealed. That means the gospel of Christ must reveal the sinfulness of man. When the prophet Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple, he lamented that he was undone and that he was a man of unclean lips dwelling in the midst of a people of unclean lips. That's Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. When we see God for who he is, we cannot help but see ourselves for who we are. Now remember, the gospel means good news. If the gospel only points out my need for salvation, if the gospel only points out my problem, that's not very good news. And if the gospel doesn't reveal to me why I'm being saved and what I'm being saved from and what I'm being saved to, that's not good news either. When the prophet saw God, he saw himself for who he was. And he said, I am undone. I am unclean. When God is revealed in his righteousness, man will be seen in his sinfulness. The righteousness of God revealed in the gospel is revealed from faith to faith. From faith that originates from God, righteousness is revealed to faith that has been given to man as a gift, a gift from God. This is the transaction of the gospel the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. So today I'm reading the gospel to you. I'm preaching the gospel to you. I'm speaking the gospel to you. I'm proclaiming faith to you. The righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. It's revealed from faith to faith, from the faith of the preacher to the faith of the hearer, from the faith of the Old Testament saints to the faith of the New Testament saints. The righteousness of God in the gospel of Christ is revealed from faith to faith. It is by grace through faith that the gospel is proclaimed and that men are saved. From faith to faith, through the power of the gospel, we have come to know and we have come to be justified by the righteousness of God that is ours in Jesus Christ. It's not our righteousness that saves us because we have no righteousness. It is the righteousness of God that is revealed to us from faith to faith that saves us. In other words, without faith, we cannot know God's righteousness. And without faith, the Bible says it is impossible to please God, Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, we cannot be justified because we are justified by faith, through faith, apart from the deeds of the law. And those who have been justified, the Bible says, shall live by faith. Paul the Apostle, in his letter to the Romans, quotes the prophet Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, the just shall live by faith. 
The just shall live by faith means that faith is the life principle of God's righteous ones. Who are the just? They are the righteous ones of God. They are the ones justified, not by themselves. You don't justify yourself by your good works. You are either justified by faith, you are either justified by God, or you are not justified. And when we talk about being justified by faith, and this is the point of Paul's letter, and this is the point of his introduction, he's pointing out the sinfulness of all men and the need of all men for the saving power of the gospel. And we're not to put our trust in our ability to live moralistic, holy lives because we can't do that. Even if we get close by the world's standards, we fall so far short of God's standard that I can promise you there will be a lot of very moral people who will find themselves in damnation one day because they trusted in their moralistic abilities instead of trusting in the work, the finished work of Christ on the cross. This is what it means to be justified by faith, that we put our trust in Christ. We put our trust in the work of another because our work is not good enough. We put our trust in the righteousness of another because our righteousness is non-existent. For the believer, for God's righteous ones, faith is less about what we can see and more about what others can see in us. For the believer, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So then our faith is not based on what we can see with our eyes, but what we know in our heart. The words by faith define how we are to live. As powerful as words are, our faith must be more than mere words. People say all the time, I believe in Jesus, I believe in God. Listen, the devil believes in Jesus and the devil believes in God too. But he's not saved. You knowing something doesn't save you. Knowing about Jesus and trusting in Jesus are two very different things. And ultimately, if we are trusting in Jesus, our life will manifest that. Never perfectly, because we'll never be perfect living in this imperfect flesh, in this imperfect world. But one day, this imperfection will put on perfection. Or as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, this mortality will put on immortality. This corruption will put on incorruption. That day is coming. And that promise is real to us because we have already been raised up in his resurrection life because we are trusting in him. Not trusting in ourselves. Faith is what we do and do not do. Faith is our lifestyle. It's the principles that govern our life. It's what we say or what we do not say. It's how we walk and how we talk and how we make known Christ through our very being, through our living. Faith is about much more than what we say about ourselves or even what we say about God. Faith is who we show ourselves to be and who we show God to be through the way we live and conduct ourselves in this world. Jesus was all about simplification. 
So before he was arrested and crucified, he left his disciples, he left all of us a new commandment. It's recorded for us in John 13, 34. In that upper room, as Jesus is getting ready to go out and he knows that his arrest is imminent and his crucifixion is imminent because this is why he came to the world, to die for the sins of his people. And Jesus says to his disciples, who were really good at getting confused about things and complicating things, and he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, so you are to love one another. Jesus is saying those words after he's washed the feet of his disciples. And he even washed the feet of the disciple that betrayed him. And the world wants to latch on to love, but they don't really have any idea of what true love is. We call lust love, and it has nothing to do with it. In fact, the Bible says God came to deliver us from the lust of this world. So faith is not just based on what we see in the moment. Faith is based on what God has promised and made known by his word. Faith does not look for the promise now fulfilled. Faith looks to the one who made the promise, knowing that he is faithful to fulfill it, to bring it to pass in his time according to his will. This is why the writer of Hebrews says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen. I believe the words of the prophet recorded for us in Isaiah, where it says, unto us a son is born, unto us a son is given, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Those words pinned some. 700 years before the birth of Jesus, I believe are still in force today, are still being fulfilled today. So when you, let me ask you, Christian, when you read your newspaper, if you still read one, if you watch your news or read your news or listen to your news, you look around the world and you look at all this mess and all the hate and all the violence and all the murder taking place, the murder reported on the news and the murder not reported on the news. And you listen to all the lies of all the politicians. Do you believe that the increase of God's government and peace is increasing? Or does it look to you like the world is going to hell in a handbasket and we are on a downward spiral headed nowhere fast except to a severe crash? What do you believe? Many people believe we're headed for the crash. We're spiraling down and, and it's never going to come back. And we believe that because we bought into false theologies. We believe that because we don't read our Bibles, but we read the news. We don't look to see what God has said, but we look and see what man is saying all around us. And we begin to believe the lie instead of believing the truth. Here's the truth that God proclaimed, pinned by his prophet 700 years before that child was born. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government 
will be, shall be upon his shoulders and of his government and peace there shall be no end. So that stands in stark contrast to what the world is saying, to what all the letters of the alphabet on TV and broadcast media are saying. Because the world wants to scare you. The world wants to scare you into believing in their God. Don't think they don't have one because they do. But God says, don't be scared into believing into false gods and false gospels and false ways. Believe my word. Believe my promise. Believe it over what your eyes see. Because the just shall walk by faith. It doesn't say the just shall walk by their sight. It says the just shall walk by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. So faith is not based on what we're able to see right now in the moment. It's based on what God has promised and made known by his word. It doesn't look for the promise now fulfilled. It looks to the one who made the promise. And we know by faith it shall be fulfilled. Why? Because we can see it? No, because God has declared it. God's righteous ones walk by faith. Faith is the life principle of those called just and righteous by God. The just shall live by faith. Then Paul pins these words for to continuation of the thought. Now we want to stop right there because we love as Christians, we love to talk about faith. We love to talk about love. We love to talk about all these things. But this next, this next section that Paul writes, we don't like to talk about this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and uh, all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Then Paul goes on and he lists, he describes in graphic detail the ungodliness and the unrighteousness as it manifests through the lives of men. Things that we call good today, the Bible calls evil. Things that we call an alternative lifestyle today, the Bible simply calls sin. And don't think homosexuality is something new. It's not. The city Paul's writing to, this church in Rome, sexual immorality was rampant. Homosexuality in the Greek and the Roman cultures were rampant. It was just sexual perversion. And sexual immorality is not just about gay sex, it's about any kind of sex outside the parameters of the scripture. And it sounds so antiquated and so old-fashioned today with our modern sensibilities, doesn't it? To even get up and talk about this is like church growth suicide. The wrath of God is a truth many do not like to speak of. It's a topic avoided like the plague. We church leaders have been taught that you cannot talk about wrath or sin or all those unpleasant topics 
only talk about God's love, and at all costs, avoid talking about man's sin and God's wrath, because those topics will not draw anyone to your church. In fact, they'll do the opposite. They may repel people. But here's the reality. We're not going to stand in judgment before church growth experts one day. And the Bible never said the preaching in the church and the teaching in the church was to draw men into the church. The Bible, in fact, clearly says that the preaching and the teaching in the church is an act of worship and it is an act of equipping the saints so that you believers can go out into the world and be salt and light and be different from the world. Our job is not to make God more like the world so the world will love him more. No, God is not like the world. He's not of the world. He's nothing like that. He is so different, so other than, that if he is revealed in the reality of who he is, the world could not stand in his presence. Just as the prophet, the prophet of God could not stand in his presence. And the prophet of God was not living a sinful, immoral, perverse lifestyle. He was a righteous man, living a very moral lifestyle. But when he saw God, he realized that his morality, his good works, as he writes later, are like filthy, rotten rags in the nostrils of God, in the sight of God. We cannot talk about God's love and righteousness and fail to talk about God's wrath. The wrath of God is very much a part of him. It's as much a part of him as his love and righteousness. If we think God's wrath is not an essential part of his being, then we do not understand the necessary price that was paid for our sin when the wrath of God was poured out upon the Son of God. This is what God thinks about sin. He hates it so much that he was willing to pour his wrath upon his son. God's wrath upon sin is so real, it really cost the life of the Son of God. And if God poured out his wrath upon his son to save his people from their sin, do not think that he will not pour out his wrath upon those who reject the sacrifice of his son and think that they will be saved by their own righteousness or because there is no God. Romans chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, Paul writes, or do, you, or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. The righteous judgment of God. Do you know that no human past, present, or future deserves God's salvation? We don't deserve God's salvation. We absolutely deserve his wrath. It is his grace that delivers you 
from that wrath. It is by grace through faith that we are saved. Never, ever, ever think that because humanity exists, that they somehow deserve God's salvation because the reality is humanity does not deserve God's salvation. So if you find yourself in heaven one day, just realize you are there not because you deserve it. In fact, God gave you what you did not deserve instead of giving you what you do deserve. Men do not want to think or talk about the wrath of God for they would rather suppress the truth of God and unrighteousness. The reason good news is real is because bad news is real. Something can only be good if there is a, com- uh, a corresponding bad. The good news of salvation for those who trust in Christ is contrasted with the bad news of damnation for those who trust in anyone or anything else. The righteousness and or justice of God demands that his wrath is real. The same is true of his love. Listen, if Jesus truly loves his sheep, he must truly hate the wolf. His sheep will experience his love, and that is why the wolf must experience his wrath. That's good for the sheep, bad for the wolf. Thus, the good news, which is the gospel, has a corresponding bad news, which is the reality that the wrath of God will be poured out on those who reject him. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. That is bad for those who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, but it is good for those who love truth and so love God in his righteousness. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for anyone and everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. And so we preach and we teach and we live and we celebrate the gospel of Christ. We come to his table and we thank him for the death and the life of Christ. We partake of his table because he makes us partakers of his righteousness in Christ. This is why we can come to this table, not because we are righteous, but because he is righteous. Not because we are worthy, but because he is worthy. He has made us righteous and he has made us worthy by the death and the life of his son, Jesus Christ. This is a table of thanksgiving. And every time we come, we should give thanks for the good news that has saved us and invited us, and made a place for us at God's table. If you've never trusted in Jesus, trust in Him now. There is no magic formula. There is just trust. And trust doesn't come from your mouth. Trust comes from your heart. And if trust is in your heart, then faith will come out of your mouth. Amen? Christian, I invite you to come to the table. Trust in Jesus. I invite you to stand. I invite you to look around. This is the body of Christ. 
and all its diversity and all its differences, but unified under one head, the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's your charge today. Be bold in living. Be bold in your living of the gospel of Christ for all to see and for all to hear. Do not be ashamed of the gospel. Be the opposite. Live it loud and live it clear. Be assured of the power of the gospel of Christ to save men. Do not underestimate its power or think that it is your own ability to communicate it more effectively that determines the effectiveness or the power of the message. It is the gospel of Christ, not you or not me, that will save men. Be aware that the same gospel that reveals the righteousness of God will reveal the sinfulness of men. The gospel of Christ is not good news if men do not understand their need for it and that they can only be saved through it. And that can only be as they become aware of their sinfulness and they cry out to a Savior. Be living by faith. If we have been justified by faith, then faith is the life principle by which we are to live our life. Faith, like love, is not only a noun, it is a verb. Our faith is to never be static, but it is to be living and breathing and growing in Christ. The wrath of God is a reality all men will see. Some will only observe it from the safety of Christ, but many will see it and experience it personally before God. Men who are ashamed of the gospel are generally men who are ashamed of God's wrath. We cannot wish away God's wrath. It is real, so we must really warn men of its approaching reality. If we love Him, if we love God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, and with all our strength, we will love all things about Him and concerning Him. From His eternal love to His terrible wrath. Live by faith and make known to all men the God you serve. Make him known in his righteous glory and in his terror. Do this for love's sake, for your love of God and for your love of men, that men would come to know his salvation and be saved from his wrath. Grace and the peace of God go with you. God bless you. God keep you. God guide you. Amen.